Would you stand with me now as we come to the reading uh, from the Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Let's pray as we come now to what Christians believe is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to hear your word, your message? We ask for the help of your spirit uh, for this, uh, this goal that we have this morning, to hear you and to be changed uh, by what we hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over all the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Well, my friends, do please sit down as uh, we come now to the third in this series, in this rather strange book, Ecclesiastes. Let me begin uh, uh, like uh, this this morning. Stop all the clocks. Cut off the telephone. Prevent the dog from barking with a juicy bone. Silence the pianos and with muffled drum, bring out the coffin. Let the mourners come. Let aeroplanes circle, moaning overhead, scribbling on the sky the message, he is dead. Put crepe bows around the white necks of the public uh, doves. Let the traffic policemen wear black cotton gloves. He was my north, my south, my east and west, my working week and my Sunday rest, my noon, my midnight, my talk, my song. I thought that love would last forever. I was wrong. The stars are not wanted now. Put out every one. Pack up the moon and dismantle the sun. 
Pour away the ocean and sweep up the wood, for nothing now can ever come to any good. So W.H. Auden says, stop all the clocks. The trouble is, that's the one thing that we cannot do, however much we might wish. In reality, there is no turning the clock back itself, or making time stand still, or catching up on lost time. Once the minute hand has ticked forward, it is gone forever. We therefore construct ever more clever ways to make the most of the limited time allotted to us. We have personal digital assistants, PDAs. We have goals and objectives to achieve by as efficient means as possible. And yet, like the examination clock during finals, the tick goes on and the end inevitably draws near. The book of Ecclesiastes is written to teach us that life without God stinks. And this chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes is revealing for us that time without eternity is merely the brutal onward march of a funeral drum. It is saying time's running out, and therefore it hopes to persuade us to invest our most precious resource, time, in the safest account in the universe, eternity. First, a ticking bomb. Well, the most uh, famous part of this passage from verse 1 to verse 8 is normally thought to be an affirmation of the orderliness of time. And therefore, I need to know the times and do things at the right time. However, when we look at it carefully, and no doubt if we could read it in its original stately form, we pick up a quite different feeling from these poetic verses. Look at verse 3. There we are told there is a time to kill. Well, there may be in God's moral order a time to plant, a time to laugh, even a time to mourn. But surely there cannot be in God's ideal of life a time to kill. Ecclesiastes cannot be telling us to look out for the right time to bump off our neighbors. For the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and pray for those who persecute us. Nor can this be referring to legalized war, which of course certainly in the Old Testament, and many Christians would say still today, is appropriate under certain just war conditions. For, it says, verse 8, there is also a time for war. So whether you're a pacifist or a just war theorist, verse 3, a time to kill, cannot be an affirmation of God's right order of events in time. Or look at verse 6. There is a time to seek and a time to lose. Well, again, is there really any right time to lose? Does God want us to be losers only at certain times of the day or our lives? Now, there are matters here, of course, for which there is a right time. And the Ecclesiastes is indeed suggesting these. For instance, that there is a time to be born, verse 2, and a time to die, or verse 7, a time to speak and a time to be silent. But even with these matters, as he says in 
Verse 11, we cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So there's a frustration to this march of time, not a peaceful resignation, at least that's what's intended. After all, verse 8, there is no right time to hate. No, the point is not that time is our friend and we need to figure out how to get it to work for us, more PDAs or more peaceful attitude to life's progression. But the time is our foe and time is never on our side. The poem is a careful, rhythmic rendition of time's brutal onward march. There is a time for this, a time for that, a time, a time, a time, a time. It's like a ticking bomb or an examination clock or a funeral march. The translation of verse 1 can give the wrong impression. Uh, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, for we have positive views about the seasons. But really, the words for time and season here are not semantically separate but overlapping. Kairos and chronos is the Greek translation. Time and clock. Tick, tick, tick. Zemen and et in Hebrew are synonymous words. We're not to think of the encouraging change of the seasons, but of the ceaseless progression of the examination clock. Or perhaps something even more familiar to viewers of the ER, the ER heart monitor. Beep, beep, beep. It blips encouragingly in the background. Beep, 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 beep. And then it's ended. If you were to backtrack this poem to the sounds of modern life, it would have the ER beeping in the background, the occasional clock ticking away, and then silence. There's a time, a time, a time. Once again, Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to see life for what it is. We cannot stop time, save time, or buy time. Time's running out. So what then should I do with my time? Well, second, a teasing feeling. Now, verse 11 is perhaps the most significant sentence in the whole book. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's hearts so that they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And appropriately enough for a verse that asserts that we cannot fathom what God is doing, uh, it has proven to be a verse that some have had great difficulty figuring out. It is telling us that we are creatures of eternity thrust into the chronological prison of time. And our frustration with life is a sign that this is not all that we were made for. In fact, we cannot be happy in this life while we seek to find happiness here. It's a contradiction of our nature. God has put eternity in our hearts. Now, because this word eternity appears in the midst of this funeral march, many have wondered whether it can really bear this meaning in this context. But actually, it is precisely when we are faced with our own mortality that we become aware that that is not the final word. Now, Ecclesiastes is not saying, of course, 
that everyone believes in heaven, nor that everyone wants even to go to heaven. Uh, As someone once said, millions long for eternity who don't know what to do on a rainy Saturday afternoon. Nor that the doctrine of eternity in the Old Testament was as well formed as in the New Testament. All he is saying is that there is this teasing feeling within that we were made forever. Now, the same word is translated uh, eternity or forever in chapter 1, verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does uh, endures forever. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 6 is a negative, forever they have no more shame in all that is done under the sun. And so in other contexts, it can bear uh, different meanings, Just like our forever and eternity can also. Um, That line in the doctor's surgery went on forever. It, It means it went on a long time, you see. And so this word has a wider series of meanings that casting its eye backwards and forwards. And here in this context is best understood precisely as it is translated, eternity. The verse, you see, has this, I think, kind of message. God has made everything fit or appropriate. The beautiful here is beautiful in the sense of fitting or ordered. God has made everything fit just right in its time. We have a sense of eternity beyond time. And we cannot figure out how to square that circle. Here we are, creatures of eternity, sailing, blown along by the wind of time. And so there is this basic frustration with life because of it. There is this nagging feeling that will not go away. Death is a surprise. An event of which no culture in human history has been able to believe is the final word. So what should I do with my time? Well, I can try and figure out how to make the most of it. I can invest here and there, work harder and more efficiently. And yet, successful as I may be, the drumbeat of time rolls on and we cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So instead, I am to invest time in eternity. I am to give my life for something that lasts forever. See, the greatest sickness that is facing the Western church is its desire to have its cake and eat it, to preach heaven yet obtain the world, to believe in eternity yet strive for prosperity. And somewhere in our hearts then, we need to listen again, not just to the ticking bomb of time all around us, but the quieter stiller message of the eternal present in the presence of Christ. See, people are miserable because they invest in things that will not make them happy. It is meaningless. It passes away. It will not last. As soon as I have it, the thrill of the chase is gone, and I am as empty as as before. And all that is a sign of who I am as a person of eternity in my soul. And so to be happy, we must invest in eternity. 
We must invest in people, for they are forever. No deed done for a person, no cup of water in Christ's name, no gospel story shared, no ministry begun, no act of service in the church is ephemeral and passing, but eternal. Invest in people. And treat these things around us as they really are, passing, and instead find in them the gift of God. Change our attitude to these things, whereby we are grateful to God for them, and find in that gratitude our joy. That is, in God our joy, not in the things around us, which without that attitude turn to sawdust in our mouth. As I say, this verse is in some ways the high point of Ecclesiastes. Yet there is an immediate problem. So third, a terrible fear. In other words, how do I know that if I do invest in eternity, if I give my life for something that will last forever, How do I know that it will really be there when I die, that this world really works like that, that God will reward me, that how can I be sure of anything beyond the grave? And so Ecclesiastes begins to argue with himself about all of this. Moreover, I saw under the sun, what did he see? In the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. It's a shock, a horror, a realization that if God is in charge of this world and God is good, how come so often in courts, in justice, in judicial review, there is no real justice at all? And how then can this let me be confident about how God will judge forever? But then he says, well, this is verse 17 now, God will judge, that is in the future, uh, I think. There will be a grand assize and every wrong will be righted and he, he's talking about all that to himself and that seems to make it okay, that makes investing in eternity all right, he can believe in that and accept that if that's the way it is to be, but is it? And so from verse 18 to the end of the chapter, he questions as to whether we can really be sure what's going to happen after death. Who knows, he says, verse 21, whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. He's using these ideas that were out there in his day about heaven and life after death, about the spirit and what happens to it. And he's just saying, well, how do we know that the spirit of a person rises to heaven and all that? How do we believe that? Do we really know? Who knows? After all, who has been there and back again to tell us the story? We may have ideas, intuitions. God has put eternity in our hearts. Yes, we have this teasing feeling, but is there not this terrible fear that really, after all, this may be it? And that if there is a grand assize, a judgment to come, that God's judgment may anyway be not quite what we think it's going to be. Who knows? Who can tell? And of course, this fear undermines every attempt to invest in eternity. 
if I'm not sure that eternity really is or that I'm really going there or that judgment about what's the right thing to do or to believe is really secure, then how on earth can I be confident about investing in eternity? And so he concludes again, verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for this is his lot. Who knows? Do you? I do. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Fine words... What if they were true? What if I knew that I'd be raised forever in the presence of God because Jesus Christ himself had been raised from the dead? What if I knew that death had been defeated? What if the clock was stopped? The mystery That which was hidden, which Ecclesiastes is struggling with, has now been proclaimed. Listen, the Apostle Paul writes, I tell you a mystery. That which was hidden is now written, spoken, preached, and may be believed. Time, you see, is immersed in the material reality of life all around us. We cannot escape time's tyranny. Now that creation has fallen through our human rebellion, the sequence of natural events takes on a terminal gloom. We are not going somewhere in an encouraging progress of growth. We are going somewhere in a series of decaying ticks on the clock. But what if the perishable could clothe itself with the imperishable? What if the mortal could clothe itself with immortality? What if I could know it because Christ crucified is risen? Well, then it would make all the difference to my life, would it not? I read a little while ago that Halo 2, the video game, in the first 10 weeks of its release, logged 91 million man-hours playing it online, which is 10,000 years spent in the virtual world. We spend time like there is no tomorrow, but there is, and it will come, and the next after in rapid succession until the final tick 
on your clock. But what if the clock was stopped? What if you could invest in eternity? Would it not be worth giving your life to see one extra soul in heaven? 10,000 years is as nothing compared to the infinite eternity of reward in God's presence. So all this teaching on time is simply telling us that the only way to be happy is to invest in eternity. For that is what you were made to do. If you invest your life in anything else, you may use time with great efficiency or spend it with fantastic alacrity. But there will still be a time, a time, and a time. It is only our labor in the Lord that is not in vain. Here's a riddle for you. This thing all things devours... Birds, beasts, trees, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays king, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. Bilbo asks Gollum this riddle on the Hobbit, the precursor to the Lord of the Rings. The answer? Time. You cannot get away from it, for if you run, you run to its beats. You cannot forget it, for if you think of something else, you think to its rhythm. All you can do is decide how to use it. I want to live for eternity. How about you? Let's pray together. Father, as we uh, consider this truth from Ecclesiastes, we pray as we come to the table where Christians remember that Jesus died and rose again and has the victory over death. That if we don't know you, we would make sure we do today. And if we're wavering in our commitment and wondering whether really it's worth being committed to you and the church and Christian moral values, we would see our life in the perspective of eternity for which we were made and invest in that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.